Okay, praise Jesus. Let's go before the throne. Lord Almighty, we come once again to your word and we ask that you would be pleased by our offering here. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and open our thoughts so that we can hear from your word and be shaped by it and become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So when asked what the most significant, most life-changing day you have ever had, most parents would say the day they had their first child. For many, unfortunately, their life was forever changed by some great tragedy. For some, a particular success has defined for them how they think of themselves. But is there a day that qualifies as the most important day of the year of all history? Well, you've heard me say over the last several weeks, there is. And we call that period of time from Good Friday, the day that our Lord and Savior died to pay the penalty for our sins until Sunday when he rose again, even though they're on different days. We call that a single Easter event. And without a doubt, by far and away, infinitely more important than any and every other day in history is that event. And praise Jesus, we get to celebrate again. Amen? Amen. Indeed, Christ's death and resurrection bought for every single man, woman, and child blessings and good for their life on earth. And for those who would trust his promises, Christ's death and resurrection brought them purchase for them blessings both now and forever. And that, my friends, is the good news. That is the promise that you can trust. So no matter what else you do in this life, trust the risen one. That's our big idea for tonight. And I want to uh, take a moment and allow have you allow me to set the scene. What, what is going on? Those who are closest to Jesus, those who had spent the most time with Him for the last three years, had just had every dream dashed. Those who were closest to Jesus had every hope destroyed. Every desire of theirs was devastated. And just witnessing the brutality that happened on that Friday would be enough for any healthy, emotionally healthy human being to just be depressed. I've spoken with many in my career who have suffered from PTSD of one thing or another and just crushed them. I cannot imagine seeing the brutality that happened on that day and not just be reeling three days or three years later. But now, with barely a moment to breathe, 
Some of the women who were closest to Jesus got up early to make sure that they could afford Jesus a decent burial. All that he had suffered, all that he had taught them, crushed. But at least we could give him a decent burial. At least we could put some spices on him and and give a small offering to this great man. That is how we come to Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For, or because, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, I've never been to Israel, but I understand that Israel and California are remarkably alike in terms of weather, in terms of flora and fauna, and especially in terms of earthquakes. Lots of earthquakes. And if you're like me and you grew up in Southern California within visual distance of the San Andreas Fault, earthquakes are just kind of a way of life and you just oh we got another one I think that was better than last year's okay but this particular tembler happened because an angel descended from heaven and rolled back the stone now you've got to get this this is crucial The Bible is not a science textbook, but when the Bible makes a scientific claim, we know that that claim is true. We're not talking about plate tectonics here. We're not talking about uh, um, plates slipping or popping or doing the various things that they do. So important was this angel's mission that he hit the ground running so hard that it caused the earth to tremble. Or maybe it was the fact that the earth trembled for joy because the earth knew that its master was no longer kept inside. Now this revelation, this stone being rolled back from the stone from the from the grave is so that you and I would know that neither death nor stone could hold him instead it's a demonstration of God's desire to proclaim to all the earth and even hell that Jesus is alive death has no hold on God the son the stone was rolled back so that we could peer into it, not so that Jesus could come out. And further, as we read here, we see that the angel sat on the stone. Sitting in the Bible is always, always a sign that the work is done. The angel did his job. He rolled back the stone. Ah, I'll just hang out here now and see kind of what happens. Of course, 
That's not completely true because the angel had a message. The body of Jesus was not stolen from the grave by some grave robbers. The grave could not hold Jesus' body. It is empty. And now, now that the angel has come and he's awakened all of Jerusalem and he's rolled back the stone, he is risen. I love you guys. You guys know me. All right. The angel gives the message. And so now the women come. And he sends them on a job. And then John and Peter come. And he sends them on a job. He gives the message to proclaim the, glo- the most glorious news ever. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. Now, I love, I love God's Word, especially this particular passage, because it's so rich. What, you, you know what jumps off the page in these four verses to me? You're looking at this, and here comes this angel. He rolls back the stone, and he sits down, and there's at least four grown men, fully armed, trained for battle, and they faint like girls. Right on over. Now, now you gotta, you got to give these guys a little bit of credit. I mean, angels are scary creatures. Because every single time they appear, they do one of two things. They either say, fear not. I'm here to give you good news. You're, you're good. No worries. Or else, they don't say fear not. Because they want to make sure that the people hearing them get the message. And both of those happen in Scripture. And I don't see any re- uh, recording here of the angel telling the soldiers, hey, hey, boys, don't worry. Mm-mm. This terrifying of the troop of guards that the temple leadership sent to guard Jesus' tomb had fainted. Now I'll tell you why in a few minutes, why I think it was temple guards as opposed to Roman guards. But I also want to emphasize this idea of fear happens four times in ten short verses. And I'm going to argue, I want to argue, that in the New Testament when we see the word fear, it's getting at the idea that the, a good translation of the Greek word for fear is be scared. It's not this reverence stuff that people sometimes say. I, I'm not saying it isn't reference, reverence, but it's fear. It's phobos. It's the same word that we get for arachnophobia. Be scared of spiders. How many of y'all are scared of spiders? Yeah, a couple of you. My son Jaron is not. His, his mama tells Jaron to come and either kill or translocate spiders. And he's been doing it since he was three. <laughs> when I'm not there. Th- this word fear is the same emotion we have when we stand on the edge, too close to the edge of a cliff. This word fear is the same emotion we have when you're driving on the freeway and all of a sudden you have a narrow escape of a collision and you realize, oh, that could have been bad. This 
Fear is like seeing a rattlesnake lying right outside of our camper where we're about to step and we see it. This same emotion of fear is related to what we will see described of in the women who loved Jesus and what ought to be in you and me when we consider our relationship with the Lord. To fear the Lord means the same thing as fearing a lion. The cage around the lion at the Santa Barbara Zoo is there for your protection, not the lion's. Because if you find yourself in a wrong relationship to that lion, guess what? You are in trouble. Likewise, if you find yourself in a wrong relationship to a messenger of God, or with God himself, which is the same thing, you should be afraid. And in one sense, we all recognize the truth that because we are sinners by birth and by choice, we have reason to be afraid. In fact, it gets deeper than that. The only way not to be in a wrong relationship to the Lord is to think rightly about the event we're describing right now. In order to not be in a wrong relationship with the Lord, you and I need to consider the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus as having been an amen to a promise that the Father makes to you. In order not to have to be afraid of the Lord. You need, so to speak, to put yourself in the cage with the Lion of Judah who lived and died and rose and is seated at the right hand of the throne of Almighty God so that you can trust the risen one. So that you can be in a right relationship with him. Let's continue, verse 5. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now, again, I want to point out something that's missing here. The angel completely ignores the guards. Now commonly in these days, Rome would post four soldiers to do a night duty if they're, if they're doing some sort of um, guard, guarding. And you understand why. Two guys can be in battle and two guys can go get help. Or, you know, they, it, it was a good number. Now we can imagine that the temple leadership would have posted a similar number of fully armed men trained and ready for battle. Now normally, tangling with a group like this would cause me at least some concern, but not for the angel. The angel came to talk to the ladies who were there. He could care less about the guys who were acting like ladies over there. <laughs> the 
the angel thought about as much of them as you would a line of ants if you were standing in a lion exhibit in the Santa Barbara Zoo. So then, we have to ask the question, what was the business that the angels had at the, with the women at the grave? Now, side note here, because this is an important one, angel, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, simply means messenger. That's what it is. And commonly, we see people called angels, and we normally translate just messenger, because these are human beings. We don't call them angels, because those are the ones we think of as supernatural. And indeed, that's who we have here. But they have a message. Jesus is alive, and you need to tell his friends where to meet him. That's their message. That's what they came to tell. Now the wording, if, if you look at it straight in here, the wording is he was crucified and he was raised. And this wording in the original is meant to emphasize something that happens. What happened to Jesus in the past, both his death and his resurrection, are done. And now, now going forward... He was dead. Now he is alive. He is risen. And he, sorry, yeah. And he is alive now. Death no longer has hold of the one who was risen from the grave. And so the angel says, Go! He is going before you. He's saying something with power. He's saying, look, Jesus is going to take care of you on the way to where you need to be. So get moving. Get going. Move forward. And this same reality is emphasized again when the angel puts an exclamation point on it and he says, see, I've told you. In other words, my job's done. Your turn move out. And it's this idea of moving out that pushes us back to needing to trust the risen one. Now let's pause for a moment. You see, the followers of Jesus had good reason to be scared. The leaders who had just crucified Jesus, their master, would be very likely all too happy to crucify them as well. And so they needed a little bit of assurance. Well, I'm not sure about this. Let's just go hide in a room and lock the door. And you and me, my friends, are no different. You and me must do what our master calls us to do. And so Matthew puts this here in part so that you will know that you know that your risen one, your master, is worthy of trust. So let's see what the ladies do. Verse 8. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Shalom. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here's that fear again. I just want to bring it to your 
attention. Standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon should give you fear. Standing in the presence of a lion should give you fear. If they don't make you afraid, you're either taking some pretty strong drugs or you're already dead. But instead of a messenger, Jesus came himself. Jesus, the lover that he is, simply could not wait till his friends got to Galilee to meet with them one on one. Now, I think that Jesus is kind of like a child who has made a present for you and can't wait till your birthday to give it to you. They just. They, they're just so excited about giving you this present. they got to do it. Jesus said, go to Galilee. But he was so excited about seeing his girls that he just popped right in front of them and gave them a hug. Your Jesus loves you. Now undoubtedly, Jesus' greeting was the typical Jewish greeting, shalom. It means peace, kind of in a holistic sense. This idea of wellness or wholeness more conveys the idea that we would say in English. And immediately, they, these two women, or more depending, partook in that wholeness. They worshipped him. Do you know what the healthiest thing you can do? It isn't to drink a lot of water. The healthiest thing that you can do isn't to start popping vitamin C's like they're going out of business. The healthiest thing for you and me and every other mother's child to do is worship. To worship the one who went toe-to-toe with death and won because he has risen. Amen. Gone are the doubts. Vanquished are the fears. Vanished are the questions. Well, except they're not. Don't be afraid, Jesus needed to say. Jesus needed to reassure his friends, just like he did with Peter in the boat, who said, Depart from me, Lord. The women understood that they were helpless in the lion's den. And Jesus understood they were exactly where they needed to be in the den of the lion of Judah. And he received their worship. Don't be afraid. Instead, trust the risen one. You know, if we think about it, we have lots of reason to be afraid. I mean, there's people out there who hate us. Satan hates you. Sometimes you hate you. But know this, your ruler, redeemer, is so excited to see you that he is watching you right now just giddy with happiness. That's exactly what Zephaniah is telling us. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love and He will rejoice over you with singing. This, my friend, is the God whom the grave could not hold. 
Let's continue. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money, that translates in English a lot, to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, Matthew takes a moment's break from the narrative. And he breaks away to tell what happened to these guards. Now, these guards were in kind of a catch-22 situation. They had to confess that they didn't have the body. But of course that would get them executed. And if they said why they didn't have the body, man, these superhero dudes came and, you know, we really weren't sure what was going on. Ha, you're lying. We're going to kill you for that. So you can't lose for winning if you're one of these guards. If you're insane enough to tell the truth, you prove that you are sane enough to deserve to be executed. Now, the temple leadership, however, apparently believed the report about the angels. And it's because they believed the report about these angels that they offered money to get and to get these soldiers out of trouble. Now, this is why I think it's temple guards and not Roman guards. The guards in question went straight to the temple officials and not to the Roman officials. They didn't go to a centurion. They went to the temple officials. And furthermore, the if here, if the report reaches the governor's ears, seems a stretch if they're Roman guards. Well, of course the governor's going to hear. Why would he not hear if one of his soldiers or four of his soldiers turned out to be laying on the job like women? The centurion is certainly going to ask for the death penalty for the governor for his failed troops. And finally, why on earth would the governor be satisfied if the guards were his? He would want blood because he doesn't want other guards to fall down like women as well. Let me just say one thing. I would hate to have been in these guys' shoes. My response would have been, take the money and run. I'm going to Persia. I don't care where I'm going, just away from Rome. Now, obviously, we as Christians ought to be concerned about the guards and what happened to them, but clearly the point here is that there is a lie about the stolen body of Jesus, and this is the only possible lie that could even come close to causing people to doubt the resurrection, as pitiful as that objection is. But as you and I know, if a lie is repeated often enough, it will be believed by most, even if evidenced by science deniers who believe in drastic controlling measures by the government must be undertaken to stop climate control. Oops, did I just say that? (laughs) Instead of worrying about that, we need to trust the risen one. We need to trust the one 
who is in charge of the weather. This is why you and I should turn a skeptical eye towards all news or all things that we see on social media that goes smack against what we know about human nature from God's Word. And there's a lot of denying going on right now about what is true about human nature as we learn it in God's Word. And just for the record, I'm not a climate scientist. I haven't looked at the evidence. But I am trained to know about human nature. And I know that if people can find an easy excuse, people in power can find an an easy excuse to get more power, not a problem. So much the better. But Matthew returns to his narrative in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You know, I've got to say this again. I love God's word. God's word is so wonderful because it has little phrases like this. But some doubted. If you were trying to make this up, would would you put that? Everybody was convinced. They all fell on their face and worshipped. Some doubted. Remember I said a moment ago that when the women wrapped their arms around Jesus' feet, all their questions were banished and all their fears were allayed? Clearly, I was wrong. But we aren't surprised, are we? We know that miracles cannot solve the basic human problem of a deceitful heart. Your heart lies to you. Your heart tells you all kinds of things that are absurd. And if you took a moment to look at them, you would realize how ridiculous they are. Miracles in and of themselves will save no one. Jesus himself told us a parable about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Peter went on about how instead of trusting in his experience at the Mount of Transfiguration, we have the prophetic word made even more sure. People ask for writing in the sky that will make them believe, but they won't believe. They don't believe because there is an entire library of information in every single one of the 15 to 60 trillion cells that are in every single human body. A library of information in every single one. Talk about a message from God. Nor do people always believe even if they see the risen Christ. Some doubted. Now fortunately, not all. And furthermore, we don't know. Maybe they only doubted for a couple minutes. Maybe they dishesitated. That's a possible translation for this word. They wavered. They, they really weren't sure. And then they finally saw his holes in his hands and they saw the holes in his feet and they worshipped. I don't know. But what I know is this. 
This rings very true to my years of dealing with people. Let me step back. This rings very true to 45 years of dealing with my own heart. That's not the end. Verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now on one level, we have to say this. Jesus already had all authority. The difference is now we get to see it. Now we get to experience it. He rose from the grave. We saw the Romans murder him, and here he is. Man alive. If someone can do that, I'm going to be really tempted to believe everything else they say, right? In fact, you've heard it said hundreds of times in your life, The resurrection is God the Father's amen to everything that Jesus said and did during his life. And Jesus says, with this cosmic authority, you go make disciple-making disciples. That's your job. Not to be an expert at some hobby. I don't know who would, that would be. Certainly not me. Don't be an expert at knowing every actor on this program or that movie or whatever. Go be disciple-making disciples. Go. And as you are going, teach them and baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, bring them into your community. Bring them in as part of the family and let them worship along with you. Make them one of us. And then teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go about the painstaking, sometimes difficult work of explaining what God's Word means to them. By the way, that's your job. My job, according to Ephesians chapter 4, is to enable you to do that. So what are you waiting for? Angel sitting on the stone. Jesus is at the right hand of his Father. What are we waiting for? Oh, well, pastor, you just don't understand. I don't, I don't have all the answers to all the questions. Ha! good luck with that 20 years and an advanced degree hasn't answered all the questions for me either go make disciple making disciples do you know what this all boils down to it all boils down to being a witness it all boils down to being able to declare what God has done in you and through you. Are you young in the faith? You don't know as much as Billy Graham does? Well, join the club. Go and make disciples.
well, it's hard and I, I have a difficult past. So you're going to be able to minister to people that would never listen to me. Go and make disciples. Oh, you know, I don't get around very well anymore and it's hard for me to go places. Well, I bet there's people like that around you. Go and make disciples. You see, the whole truth about Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, is not by some way to impress you. It's to say, whatever handicaps you have, whatever difficulties you have, whatever problems you have that make it hard for you to go and make disciples, making disciples, guess what? Jesus has authority over that. And He can use you wherever you are to go and make disciples. So, first step. First step. Trust the risen one. Lord Almighty, thank You for this opportunity. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Give us grace. Give us grace, Lord. Because... As always, it is tough. And we recognize that the only way it is that we can do any of this is by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. May we experience this and may we know your great mercy. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.